Everyone in this particular town is a dedicated citizen. Dedicated to one sticky belief. America. There, America. There aren't just two Americas. Everyone looks at Lady Liberty and sees a different face. Even if it crumbles under question. People will defend the warm, safe feeling their America gives them. They will defend it with bullets. Now, these streets mean one of two things. Radiation or something like this here. Funeral? Less a funeral than a celebration of sacrifice. If I know my friend, someone got tossed into the volcano. This was a human sacrifice. Faulty railings at the forge. A couple of times a year, an employee takes the plunge. The insurance company says it's cheaper to settle than to close down and refurbish. As good as throwing them in intentionally. Okay, so we have this really awesome clip of, of Wednesday. He's, you know, ruling through town here and he's describing what essentially feels like a certain slice of America, right? Yes. It's definitely the slice of America that feels a sense of a protection from owning guns, and that that gives them a sense of safety, and that's where their beliefs lie, and that their ammunition will protect them. You know? Yeah, I, I feel like um, one of the things that's really great about this show is that because we are really, we're talking about identity and in this show, because there's so many different gods and they represent so many different kinds of people, you know, because America, if you look at it, is really just this melange of, of different cultures and different belief systems. So it makes sense that we're going to touch on a lot of different aspects of America as a society. And uh, if we're going to talk about Vulcan, <laughs> who has gone from being a, a god of like volcanoes to a, a god like of forgery, right? To to someone who essentially is a god of the mini volcano <laughs> in the form of guns. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I, I love uh, Wednesday's speech as they're doing this, as they're going through town. He's really describing. I think it's I mean, like I'm from America. So I, when he's describing this, I understand what he's describing. You know, he's describing yeah. essentially the rust belt of America, right? So anywhere between say the coasts uh, is, is really the rust belt. You know, you have, well, I guess not necessarily true. I guess the rust belt really is a specific portion of the cent- center of the United States. But, you know, you go from say Pennsylvania all the way, out to almost the west coast and uh, a lot of these towns that you'll see could be this town you know not all of yes. them but 
but there are a good amount of those you know towns spread across America. Not quite so over to the top as this. That's obviously this is an over topic over the top example, <laughs> a little heightened reality we have here. <laughs> uh, it, of course, it's meant to you know be a slight caricature, right? But it's also I think. It I also- think well, it also that, represents yeah. like the stereotype of other countries looking into America, and this is generally what they see. And they think, oh, America, it's just like they're all crazy in love with guns and fighting and killing. That's just America and the way it is. Yeah, well, <laughs> it's we're, like we're that stereotype. We're cowboys. That's what we are. You know, um, yeah. we're just just a bunch of cowboys over here. You know, we ride horses out in the range and we shoot guns. Um, but look, that's the way it is. You know, when people look across the world, they look at a specific country and they have a very um, stereotypical uh, two-dimensional uh, idea of what the people in that country are like. And it's often boiled, boiled down to a few specific characteristics. It becomes a stereotype, a cliche, and... Uh, I think it's because it's easier to do that than to try and look at somebody as nuanced. Uh, so, yeah. and I think that what's great about this show is that uh, as we peel back the layers, we begin to see the nuance, you know, because we're seeing a lot of different gods from a lot of different places and, you know, they're not just cliches, you know, because uh, they, they might represent or seem to represent a certain uh, culture, you know, so... I like that. I like this though, because I thought it, it was kind of it was kind of funny. I actually laughed quite a bit at this portion of the episode. I laughed throughout nice. this entire episode. By the way, I thought this episode was hilarious. Um, was a little old lady holding like an AK forty seven. Yeah, it was great. Was like, oh my gosh! I mean, I just like I just thought that they, like they like shooting the guns up in the air, just just unloading unloading magazine after magazine, and then the bullets rain down. You know, on yeah, the I'm car. glad they included that because, like, when that happened, I'm like, okay, those will be projectiles coming back. Are we gonna show that? Or are we just gonna accept that they went into the air? But yeah, I'm really glad that they had that rainstorm of bullets. That was great. And Shadow's just like, yeah, I'm gonna sit in the car for a minute. <laughs> right, but I tell you what, he's so lucky. Great. He's lucky one of those bullets didn't come through and kill him. You know, seriously, like uh, it's so easy for that to happen. That, those bullets traveled way high, and they traveled down with a lot of velocity. You know, yeah, so no kidding. Um, so anyway, that is our introduction to this town, where <laughs> the guy who essentially runs it, who is the god here, is Vulcan who used to be the god of volcanoes, but has since transformed himself, uh, kind of new godlike, into essentially the god of guns and uh, forgery. And that gives him a unique power in America because with guns being as important uh, as they are to um, a fair amount of America, you know, it, it's something that enhances his belief system um, gives him a lot of power. It gives him a ton of power. In fact, I almost felt like there were moments in this episode where he was kind of towering over Wednesday a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah, and Vulcan just has, like, 
got that god like look to him too like that beard it's very chiseled almost and just his appearance is very like powerful and but also like american at the same time you know what i mean yeah i mean he does he he kind of looks like uh someone that you would see i mean a lot of places you know big beard um kind of has a strut about him in that scene where he kind of mm-hmm. you know he has this big like strut about him so i think that kind of plays into his character and uh, I, I think he did a really great job here although to be fair i was surprised i was surprised at how at how his storyline ended yeah i didn't expect this Me to too. happen i didn't i mean when i heard that he was going to be on the show i just assumed that he was going to be around for a while you know same here like at least a couple episodes but I didn't expect his role to be a good maybe 20 minutes of the episode. That's it. Just kind of the ending, and that was it for him. I know. Now, now let me ask you a question. Did you find that to be a detriment with him, you know, having been introduced and now gone so quickly? Or do you feel like he served his purpose? He illustrated the example that Shadow wanted. He was undone by his own, I guess, uh, self or sense of uh, importance beliefs. and beliefs and arrogance. I think. Uh, what are I your th- that What are your thoughts it was on his so death? Easy, like it just felt like you know he's survived and thrived in and adapted into a new world where Mister Wednesday hasn't, and it, it seems he should be smarter than for him to be cut down so easily. Like, he knows Wednesday. Of course, if you're going to cross Wednesday, you got to expect that, don't give the guy a sword. (laughs) Like, it just seems like, are you crazy? Like, if you're going to betray him, don't make him a sword first. (laughs) Like, that just kind of bothered me because he was just like, what do you think's going to happen? Like, maybe that's just the arrogance of his success that just kind of bothered me a little bit, you know? I understand what you're saying. I felt like he, for somebody as powerful as he is, he didn't ultimately seem all that intelligent, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, only in this instance. I mean, I'm not saying he came across as, you know, an idiot, uh, but up to this point, he seemed relatively normal. But then all of a sudden you forge this blade and you're like, hey, here, here's the weapon you could kill me with. Uh, oh, by the way, I've already revealed the fact that I've, you know, alerted the others, you know, so. And I guess we have to probably interpret that because he wasn't very intelligent in the end here, that his success probably came from the new gods. They probably, of course, gave him the idea of, you know, adapting and franchising uh, his belief brand. I don't think it actually came from him. It must have come from them and the whole time, like decades and decades ago, you know, because I can't live with the fact that, you know, somebody who would be that smart would be that have some like a really stupid moment at the end. Like you just got to think that he's probably always been just kind of maybe subpar intelligence and that this was just the moment he was a little too arrogant, thought he had all his cards in play and, Wednesday just struck him down. <laughs> He's like, nope, motherfucker. 
Yeah. It's not happening. No, and I, and I love the pose that Wednesday kind of struck after he sliced him right across yeah, the neck. Yeah, so godlike. Yeah, very badass. And, and Buffalo just pisses in the volcano. It's like, like, oh, he's so godlike and powerful. And then I'm like, oh, there's the real Mr. Wednesday coming yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. This is the guy that will take a piss on you after he's killed you. You know, so. Yep. Uh, what you That's be- our Wednesday. <laughs> Which he did, and I love Shadow's reaction. You know, he, yes, I'm like, this is a justified reaction, Shadow. Yeah, he says, holy, holy shit, you know? Like, <laughs> holy indeed, I guess. Uh, yeah, up until this point, Mr. Wednesday hasn't, you know, done anything too out of the order, like magical and breaking the law, sure. But this is the first time he's just flat out murdered in front of Shadow, and so that is merit for freaking out, <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. He really, um, he's really struggling here. Uh, although I think at the end he's finally understood more, or understand. Let me say that again. At the end, I feel like he's finally understanding what he's really into at this point. Uh, he's kind of piecing it together. But I was also a little annoyed that earlier in the episode when he asked Wednesday straight up, you know, who are you? What are you? Wednesday still won't tell him. You know, whereas yeah, with, it's like, with Laura, it's it's an entirely different story. You know, when she says, you know, what the fuck are you? She gets an answer. <laughs> yeah, well, she says it many times. Who wouldn't answer her? Right, well. I'm more scared of Laura than I would be of Shadow. <laughs> right. She may be 90 pounds, but yeah, she's got those superpowers and just scary mouth. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it definitely. So... Uh, I think with, with Laura, this has to be my favorite part of the entire episode. I mean, don't get me wrong. As much as I liked and enjoyed the, the Vulcan aspect of the episode and all of that, to me, I think Laura and, uh, Mad Sweeney and Salim all in this car having this, like, road trip kind of experience with the three of them all you know, needing to be in this car together because they simply have to deal with each other's company, at least for the interim. That, that makes It's the best. Yes, it makes for great conversations, wonderful, deep conversations at times, and also very hilarious conversations. Yes, we get to be a fly on the wall of these three having like their traveling across America and having their conversations and the interactions with Laura and Sweeney are amazing, and then the interactions with Laura and Salim are just so in depth and beautiful. Like it's just like they're two two sides of one coin. You know, Salim is so pure and innocent, and his love story is essentially the most purest of all the love stories in this in this uh, TV show. And it, Laura, you know, talking to Salim, you know, She's trying to figure out what she really wants and what she's going to do. Sees their love story and that's what she desires. And then you have Sweeney, who's just nonstop, you know, being an asshole, breaking her down. But at the same time, you know, the way he talks to her, he's trying to, by using the mean way, trying to make her see, like, what do you want? Like, figure out what you want. Like, they're just, like, two different ways of helping Laura 
figure out what she really desires. And if she really, like, she says she loves Shadow and I totally believe that, but is that's what Shadow wants. And Laura has to learn <sighs> empathy and compassion and uh, figure out her love for Shadow, if she can let him go, or if maybe he does want her in his life again. So that's what she's got to decide. And I love, like, their interactions. They're just so wonderful, and Mad Sweeney's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. Some of the best lines come from him this episode. <laughs> oh, I agree. Um, and we'll play a clip here in, in a second, but I wanted to comment on what you said about, about Laura here. I think, and this is from my opinion, I think what she needs to do is she needs to figure out her purpose in life if you know because it can't be dependent on shadow she has to find a purpose that is uh independent of whether he what he does want her back or if he is ready to to fully truly cast her aside um and if that happens she needs to, to have something to hold on to because otherwise you know she won't care whether she you know is alive or could be alive. Turns into soup. <laughs> or, or turns into soup. Or, you know, if there is a way for her to come back, fully come back for yeah. real, you know, that's all going to be for nothing unless she can find purpose in her zombie life right now. So yeah, uh, that's a perfect way of putting it. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So we have a clip here of, of Shadow and Mad Sweeney. Uh, I'd like to play this clip. Uh, I only have two. Laura and Mad Sweeney. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Laura, Mad Sweeney. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I only have two clips this week. So the one we uh, had at the beginning of the podcast, which obviously introduced Falcon. And uh, the other, of course, is this one here. So it's Mad Sweeney and Laura. And they're having a chat, and she finally asks him, who the fuck are you? So, And what the fuck are you? So, uh, here it is. This times that equals you're a cunt. Divided by the only way I'm going to get what I need is if you give it to me. Equals the only way you're going to give it to me is if you don't need it. Like my friend, Jesus Christ, the only thing you need, dead wife, is resurrection. name drop Jesus Christ like you know a guy who knows a guy I do know a guy who knows a guy and the guy sitting next to that guy is your guy and who's this guy your guy knows someone who can perform a resurrection without the use of a charmed coin and you're just gonna convince this guy to bring me back to life I can be very convincing Fuck. is this you being convincing now because you suck at it unless you're trying to convince me you're an asshole I'm trying to convince you to live real living not whatever rot living this is Whatever this is doesn't last long, especially through a hot summer. Whatever this is goes to soup. And soup don't win her husband back, if that's what soup is after. Why don't you put that on your fucking scales and weigh it? What the fuck are you? I mean, what the fuck are any of you? But first, tell me, what the fuck are you? Seriously, what the fuck are you? I'm a leprechaun. Oh, well, that makes sense. Does it now? No! Please stop stealing my cap. Would you say you are a leprechaun? Yes. Have you ever met the djinn? Looking for a djinn, are you now? I have been traveling in the direction of Mecca for days, looking for a djinn. 
Fire for eyes, shit for brains. Yes and no, presumably. My luck's for shit. I'd rather not be behind the wheel. Good, I'll drive. Yeah, you'll drive. You'll drive into a fucking tree first chance you get. Take us to Kentucky. I'll tell you where to find your gin. I'll tell you where to find a whole murder of gods, Demi and otherwise, every goddamn one of them. I'll tell you. Once we're in Kentucky. Okay, so I love this clip, by the way. I think this is absolutely hilarious. I, I love their interactions. I love this snarky, just <laughs> mouth. Right from Laura, from the get, from the word go, she is just on him constantly. And I feel like if they weren't quasi enemies, you know, like these two would be getting it on or something. I mean, yes. I don't know. And like. I was watching their interactions the whole episode, and you can always see him in the background watching her. And I kind of feel like Sweeney is like that schoolyard boy that's too young for it to be cool to like girls, and so he's gonna demean her, push her, pull on her pigtails kind of thing. But he actually really likes her. And that's what I feel like Mad Sweeney is just this little schoolyard boy who's got a more of a mouth than anybody (laughs) yeah uh it's a it's such a great clip because you know she calls him an asshole you know (laughs) i think it's like like, and more i I feel like that's her like general term for him just as she is um dead wife yeah you know i Um, love like the names she comes up for him like uh Gingy Minji, Gingerbread Man. Like, they're so great. <laughs> they're really, like, they really thought of some really um, eccentric names for him. Perfect. Yeah. Yeah, they, they do a great job. Uh, it gives her some, some good lines to throw at him. <laughs> yes. And, but you feel like, I feel like ultimately there's going to be this, at the very least, a general respect between these two at some point in time. Uh, don't get me wrong, he's still going to want his coin back. But I feel like as the journey progresses, it's going to become harder for him to take the coin back only because I feel like he's going to actually grow to like her in general. Uh, and, and whether that's romantic or not is, is to a certain extent completely unimportant here. Um, even if it's more just like friends kind of thing, uh, which would be fine. I feel like as time goes on, it's going to get harder and harder for him to take that coin back. Because when it was just a, a girl who he had uh, no uh, involvement with, it didn't matter. You know, he would have just killed her if that meant getting his coin back. But now that he's been forced to kind of like deal with her and all of that, uh, and now going on this road trip, it could be a different story after a while. And I think he's also going to recognize that as you know as well too, because he's not an idiot. He's going to know at some point. Like I'm getting too close to her. Yeah, yeah. He's very smart, despite being like the clumsiest leprechaun in the face of the earth. (laughs) But he is quite intelligent. Knows what he's talking about. Um, I love I love Salim when he comes up to them. They're having this like fight about who's going to drive and hit 
Mad Sweeney's luck, and then it's just like, Slim pulls out a gun, he's like, please stop stealing my cab. <laughs> like, he's so sweet and polite about it, he's just like, please stop stealing. <laughs> uh, it's so great. Yeah, yeah, he's great. We were talking about him a little bit before the podcast, and, and you said you found the perfect uh, oh, nickname yes. for him. This is what Twitter has taken to calling Salim, and it's Cinnamon Roll. And this is because uh, the Urban D- Dictionary definition is Cinnamon Roll is a character that is very kind and sweet, but faces more hardship and suffering than they truly deserve. Comes from the usage of an article headline from The Onion titled Beautiful Cinnamon Roll, Too Good for This World, Too Pure. And I think that's just a perfect definition of Salim. Like, to a T, like that's perfect. <laughs> yeah, he got he has these eyes that just yes, like big like liquid so eyes. Innocent. It's almost like puppy eyes. Yeah, you know, like yeah. you stare into them and you just think you want to like scratch behind his ear. You know, no, I just want to take him home, <laughs> take him like, away from any hardship. <laughs> right. Oh, there's this amazing picture on Twitter. Um, when Musa Kresh, uh plays the djinn, he was getting painted in all the black for the scene with him and Selim. Um, Omid had painted his name just, like, as a tramp stamp above his butt with, like, lips. <laughs> it's, like, the cutest thing. Like, these guys are having such a good time with this. I think that's just awesome that they have this, like, friendship. It can be so comfortable uh, having this relationship on screen. Like, that's just perfect. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I, that's that was tough. I know it was, you know, a bit uh, hard for them to film those scenes um, oh, episodes back. But I think that because they knew who they knew each other and they had been friends, I guess it it made things you know easier to deal with rather than it just being like a complete stranger that you know they never had met before. So, Gotta love that. Yeah. Um. So we have this road trip. We have a lot of conversations going on in this uh, taxi cab. Yeah, basically, um, Sweeney is told um, Salim that he can lead him to the gin in Kentucky. So Salim agrees to drive them. <laughs> and so he can be in control of that. Right. And uh, there's more you know, discussions from Laura. There's more points of view. Uh, she apparently wished her family dead and it came true. Uh, uh because I feel like this is something she's wanted since she was a kid. You yeah. Know, this is, is this like an affliction that she has? Is this some kind of like disease or something? But it, it feels like her character has been the way she's been since birth. You know? Yeah. Just dead inside. No real yeah. compassion or love for anybody um, except like what she thinks is this, what she thinks is love or what she thinks is empathy. But inside, I think she's, it's very numbed and dulled. And now only in death is she like feeling what they truly feel like. And it's, it's a hard experience for her to look back on how she felt and reflect on it. You know, like it's gotta be difficult to, see your past self and not feel the same way anymore 
right? And essentially what we have is a person, we talked about this last week, we have, we have someone who is only now recognizing how great life is. You know, before she, and I, and I still stick to this opinion, but I, before I, I feel like if she would have died, she wouldn't, she didn't care. Um, I think there was a, a slight suicidal bent to her, um, a very, very self-destructive aspect to her, her personality. And if taken to extremes, which I think there were moments um, in that episode uh, that centered around Laura from a few weeks back, I feel like there was moments where she she could have killed herself, and I don't think she would have cared all that much. Yeah. Um, because we saw somebody who clearly was very, very, very unhappy. Um, didn't seem to have a lot to live for, was kind of going through the motions, going to work, doing her job, but there was no joy there. And and now, now that she's dead, you know, she misses it. You know, like that old saying, you don't know what you have until it's gone. And I feel like that's Laura in a nutshell. She now appreciates how amazing life is, real life, life like everyone else around her has. You know, they can eat a cheeseburger and taste it. For her, it, it doesn't do anything. There's there's nothing to it. Um, so Certainly I like this. <laughs> yeah, not anymore. You know, and and so we have her in this car and they're having these really great conversations, which I love, but you know, we have Salim who's talking about being scared of everything, you know, of all the people in New York city from the people from different cultures, scared of the air, scared of everything. I mean, he's scared of his own shadow or was scared of his own shadow. And, uh, you know, whereas Laura doesn't think she's ever been scared of anything. And that includes death because, Hey, guess what? She met death essentially. Yeah, and so. she got yanked away from him, thankfully. Oh. Uh, I love that, like, you have this deep conversation between Laura and Salim, and then Mad Sweeney just pipes up, I'm terrified that you'll never shut the fuck up. <laughs> 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 These two, like, having a deep moment, and then there's Mad Sweeney <laughs> in the back. I love that Laura put him in the back seat too, that she was supposed to go back there, but she made him. Like, that's just hilarious. And then she just, like, shuts the window on him. <laughs> so adorable. <laughs> I I like that uh, Mad Sweeney is is back there, and you know he's just rolling his eyes the whole time. It's like yeah. every every deep or or like dime store philosophical philosophical thing that you hear, uh, he probably just rolls his eyes at at it and thinks, uh, you know, I've heard this so many times. This is ridiculous. You guys are you guys are ridiculous. So yeah, here's <laughs> some of like the best lines when um, Sleem is talking about the gin. And um, <laughs> Sweeney like immediately catches on about their relationship, and um, oh, let's see, but his exact words, his exact quote was, "Did you have a genie in your bottle?" <laughs> like, that, I cracked up so hard, I was like that's that's the best, and adds in, "Did you rub one out of?" <laughs> I'm like, this is why the world loves you, Matt Sweeney. This is beautiful. Uh... It's fantastic. Um, <laughs> and poor Celine, he's just like so shy and like he he can't see his like love that way because to him it's like it's innocent. It's the purest love he's ever known and Mad Sweeney's just like demeaning it. <laughs> he's such a shit. 
Right. You know, um, one thing that I found really, really great here in this uh, scene in the cab was Laura describing how happy she is that her parents are dead. Like, she'll never have to eat her mom's cooking ever again, by the way. Which was that she's um, dead to her parents. Like her parents are still alive, right? Are they still alive? Yeah, I think it's oh, just that's that right, she's that's right. dead to her parents. Well, oh, that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah, right, that's right. Because in the book they were still alive, but I couldn't remember, like, I'm thinking back to the to the funeral. Yeah, there's um, even a small part in the episode where she's watching them have dinner. Oh, that's right, that's right. Oh, my, my apologies, don't, don't kill me. <laughs> don't get, start typing those emails. <sighs> How could I, you forget? <laughs> I know. How dare you? Um... Yeah, so I mean, there you go. You have her character uh, has been long since uh, cut off from her family. So I think it lends even more uh, credence to the whole idea that she was on the verge of suicide uh, before. Because before she met Shadow, let's face it, before she met Shadow, um, who did she have? I, mean, I guess technically she had Audrey and Robbie. And her but in her cat, but she was alone. You know, she, she had no family. She wasn't with anybody. Um, you never get the sense that she felt she was worth much of anything uh, to anybody, including herself, obviously. Um, so she's just, I think she's happy to have something to do, something to strive for. And right now, that is is shadow. And but more importantly, I think it's life. I think she wants to be alive again, truly alive again. Yeah, totally agree. And um, there's a couple other lines in the scene. Like the best lines are from this taxi ride um, when uh, Salim's talking about you know, things he prays about, and he says, "I pray I find the jinn. He is my afterlife," and like. That's the most beautiful thing anyone's ever said on this show. Like, so pure. So Celine. Just, I love it so much. And then there's a freaking labyrinth quote drop. It's really subtle, but um, Laura was asking Salim a question, and then she phrases it in, um, who, who does that voodoo? And I, like, paused, rolled it back ten seconds, and replayed it, and I'm like, they just slipped a labyrinth quote in there. I was so happy about that. Uh, yeah. Like well, cute. you know, hey, it, we are going to be reviewing Labyrinth, you know, yeah, so. like coincidence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so Thursday, actually, we're reviewing Labyrinth. So yep. that's going to be great. On Freaking Geeks, I'm like, that's amazing. I love when things just happen like that. <laughs> um. Do you wanna do you wanna talk about Shadow and Wednesday? Uh yeah, there's a great scene where um Shadow has got a cut, um, and they have to get essentially like the face hugger version of a tree branch out <laughs> out of Shadow. <laughs> like seriously, like this is like Shadow's gonna be terrified of trees for the rest of his life. I mean lynched on a tree he's got this tree thing inside of him like poor shadow um but essentially they have to like stand outside in like the light of the headlights so wednesday can get this thing out of him and essentially like using his own powers 
to get this god knows what the frick this thing is <laughs> out of shadow. It's just like an angry branch. Um, but there's this like really, really sweet moment where after the thing gets out of shadow, Mr. Wednesday like kisses the side of his temple. Like it's so quick, but it's just like, like so, so family like. Like I just love that that was included. You know, I love that scene. Yeah, that was really great. Um, because we saw him, you know, get attacked by it at the end of last episode. <laughs> the poltergeist tree. Um, right, and. If they get out on the road, and of course, Shadow's freaking out. He doesn't know what that is. He's been attacked by, in his words, Charlie Brown's Christmas tree. Yes, love uh, that. <laughs> and uh, so they get out there. He's freaking out. Uh, he's like, basically, he's like, I've had enough. All right, I've had enough. I need to know what's going on. I need to know who you are, what you are, what are you. And Wednesday's like, you won't believe me if I told you. It's that line that keeps cropping up, but at this point, I think he would actually believe him. You know, I don't know so if I, that's I don't... even what Mister Wednesday means by that, because he says you wouldn't believe me if I told you, but I kind of think it's you wouldn't believe in me if I told you. I think it has a different meaning. Okay. I'm pretty sure Shadow would believe him, but would he continue to follow him? I don't know. <laughs> That's a fair point. That's a fair point. Okay. Okay. Because you're right, that does keep popping up, so I think it definitely has some kind of other meaning than what it's on the surface that it means, you know? Right. Uh, so, they, you know, they end up getting in the car, they're driving down the road. Wednesday's just awfully chipper, you know, <laughs> talking quite a bit in this scene. His I've never seen really him. beautiful, too, like... The bright green glow of Wednesday's eye is just like gorgeous. I don't know. Oh, it's yeah. like that. It's yeah. eerie, but it's like really pretty in like the moonlight. I just had to make note of that. That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, fine. Um, yeah. So anyway, he's talkative. He's just rambling on, you know, mile a minute, uh-huh. which is weird because I've never seen him so expansive. Um, even on the show, which has managed to make his character more talkative than he was in the book. Uh, I, I think even I couldn't believe how much he was just talking. And Wednesday, or not Wednesday, Shadow on the other hand was just, just laying there. He couldn't believe it. Like he was so stunned from the events of the last episode. Like he doesn't know what to think. He's just completely just messed up in the head now. He's still talking about media floating. <laughs> Like, are you kidding? Are you still on about that? Uh, like, oh, come on, Shadow. <laughs> Get over it. You just pulled, like, a baby Groot out of your side. <laughs> right, and that's what happens. Like, he, he says, well, Wednesday says he has a, a charm for, you know, causing people to, uh, for, was it, to cause their grief to disappear or to lessen. And that's when... Uh, Shadow asks him if he has a, a charm for injuries, like, because <laughs> he's injured and there's blood and everything everywhere. And, you know, uh, Wednesday pulls over because he realizes, oh, this is serious. And it moves, which freaks out Shadow because he shines a light on it. It moves. So then they get out of the vehicle. They have all the headlights on high beams up. And uh, that's like when you said, you know, Wednesday is behind Shadow and he manages to. Get that thing. That's disgusting, by the way. That's just nasty. Yeah. 
Thank you. Just like, congratulations on your firstborn. It's a root. <laughs> it's right. so creepy. Yeah. It's like, um, it almost looked like a, a almost like a, a squid, like a squid that's yeah. made from, from branches. Yeah. It looked so. like it had thorns too. It's so like, poor Shadow. Every episode right. it's just like, poor Shadow. <laughs> yep. Poor Shadow, poor Shadow. You can't catch a break. You know? No, God no, not not for a long time. He won't. Um. Yeah. So they get that thing out of him. They get back in the vehicle and they continue. You know their trip. And that's of course, you know, they're gonna get to to Vulcan. They're gonna have their little chat. He waxes poetic about you know guns on the hips of of everybody and they could they, they enjoy the feeling of the heat on their hip and i love that little speech he gave yeah uh, they have this nice moment inside his uh his den and then he goes and makes the stupid weapon and hands it to to wednesday and wednesday's like gee thanks that was easy slice you know done and i like the fact that they're kind of representing racist america here too um when uh they're at um vulcan's home uh he points out the tree you gotta guess what kind of who what race would be hung on that tree uh in in his home he like purposefully doesn't offer shadow a drink doesn't really acknowledge his existence only wednesdays like so there's just like hints of racism in there and like and the whole town's just white as possibly can be. It's, I think it's quite a, an example of like racist America too. Yeah. Well, I mean, it makes yeah. There's a scene when uh, Wednesday talks to to Vulcan for the first day, embrace, and Shadow walks up behind Wednesday, and Wednesday's introducing you know Shadow, and you can see the look in his yeah. eyes, like he kind of squints. There's this frown playing on his on his face, and he just like almost like I've I've got to deal with this. I don't want to, but I have to deal with this. Yeah, like it's right from the start. Yeah, like it's not even. I love the way it's written and the way it's played out because it's just not said, but it's just you know, understood that this is racist America. <laughs> That's what this town is. Yeah. Um. um did you want to talk about the? The segment at the beginning of the show. Yeah, I was the coming just going to say, segment. we might as well talk about um, Mexican Jesus. <laughs> yes. So, yes, definitely. Yeah, the coming to America segment is you know, something we've all heard of. And a uh, couple Mexican families are trying to illegally cross the border into America to you know, have a better life. And they have their children, women, men, and they're crossing this deep river um it's not very far across but there's a deep current to it so um the woman that's kind of leading this group i'm going to call her like mexican wonder woman because that's what she reminds me of (laughs) Um, (laughs) she's like if you can't swim don't even try because you won't make it to the other side just stay behind and but you can clearly see this one guy he's got the scared look on his face he definitely can't swim but you know he the thought of freedom is worth the risk, so he tries to cross, but starts to drown, and this guy, just walking on water, walks over to him, he picks him up, 
helps him out, <laughs> gets him to the other side. No one's freaking out. Everyone's just cool with this guy walking on water and the fact that Jesus is hanging out with you guys. Like, <laughs> I would be tripping <laughs> out right now. Um, but they don't really have time to be like, hey, Jesus is here because the Border <laughs> Patrol shows up with their guns, with their Vulcan bullets, by the way. Yep. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. that. Um, but yeah, and it's not talked about, but this is something that happens all the time. Um, they just will slaughter families that are coming across the border, children too, uh, and just gun them all down. Um, and mm-hmm. we get to see the wonderful imagery of uh, the Mexican Jesus is taking a couple bullets. They go through his palms, just like the nails, and one through his chest. You have the bleeding heart, and he's laying on the ground, and like tumbleweed just comes over his head. So you have that crown of thorns. It's beautiful. I mean, it's so perfect. Great imagery. Mm-hmm. And you don't really get to find out if the family is survives or not. It's just left for your own interpretation, but it's left on the image of Jesus lying on the ground there, like as in the cross. Yeah, I'm pretty sure they're all dead. Yeah, me <laughs> I too. Mean, you know. Um, but we can Yeah, again, hope. of course, this is the way that the episodes normally open up for the most part. It's these Coming to America segments, which uh, often have uh, a combination of strong imagery and themes, and they often tie into the main narrative that's playing out in the episode itself. Um, so in this instance, there are people with guns and of course they have Vulcan bullets. So therefore when they shoot these, these people, um, that of course is just only making, you know, Vulcan stronger with every bullet that gets shot. As he says earlier in the episode or later in the episode, he says, you know, every bullet fired in a, uh, movie theater is, is, you know, praise is is a is a a prayer to me you know so horrible man right right so yeah i mean it's nicely ties into what we're going to see later and the town and vulcan and everything there so i like that so yeah and it's the fact that you know there's these two sides that you know or one side's killing the other side but both sides believe in the same god essentially Jesus, like, that's all who they pray to. It's Christianity. Like, both sides represent, you know, hold the same faith, but they're still going to slaughter each other. Right. It's crazy. Yeah. Beautifully done. Very beautifully done. I thoroughly enjoyed uh, that opening, uh, you know, vignette. I thought it was very well done. Um, I think here. There's oh Jack's crocodile bar. Yeah, coming I back. Was gonna say, uh, Sweeney falls asleep and Mara just like taps the lean, like let's go to Indiana instead. <laughs> so they end up back at Jack's crocodile bar. This is where Laura wanted to go, um, and immediately that lighting is horrible for her. Like I was thinking it before Mad Sweeney even said it, but like that lighting is just brings out the worst in her brings out the dead in her um so they go and find a nice like dark corner booth and just being a fly on the wall again of their conversations like continue on they have these really hilarious conversations um but why do you think laura went back to jack's crocodile bar 
Because you think it was just nostalgia, uh, that she needed to go where Shadow once was, she's trying to find, still trying to find her purpose, or? I thought about this when I was watching it, because I couldn't figure out why, why here. She and never had anything to do with Jack's Crocodile Bar, so like, why would she go there? I, I think she can feel places where Shadow has been, on top of where he is in general. Um. At least it feels that way because I've tried to figure out after watching this episode, I thought myself, okay, so what's going on here? Why, why is she going to Jack's Crocodile Bar? And it's not like that's where Shadow and Wednesday are going to end up. It's like she's there for, for almost no good reason because I don't understand what she can learn here that like, she doesn't already know. You know, yeah, what's she going to just... learn at Jack's? chasing the feeling of shadow like she can't reach shadow right now but she can find places close to her that he's been and just feel his presence that was once there like that's i guess what i've i'm guessing from it like um sweeney talks about like feel a touch of home here um what do you expect to find like your man sold himself to another man here and forgot about you here and then and just being an asshole, but part of it's true. Like, this is where Shadow has just started his new life. And I think maybe that's what she feels is home because he was there. Like, that's really all I can take from that. Any other listeners have any ideas that are better than that? <laughs> Let us know. Because uh, that's really all I've got, too. Like, I, I didn't really I've, understand. I thought about the book and what she did in the book for Jobs. And I've kind of wondered if there's going to be yeah. a point where she's going to actually take a job at Jack's Crocodile Bar <laughs> as like a bartender. That's actually a good idea. I mean, I personally wouldn't want the dead to be pouring, you know, alcohol in my glasses, but hey. Well, whatever. look at that bar. Who's going to notice? <laughs> right, right. It's it, it is, it's it's so ostentatious. It's ridiculous, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, yeah, so... I don't know. That's all I can think of right now because she never visited in the book as far as I could recall. Um, yeah, I, I have no idea. I'm not sure. How hilarious, though, is the um, talk Mad Sweeney has about anal sex. <laughs> oh, I know. Hilarious. I love that. I love her response at the end. I was like, yeah, you know what? Even if she if she didn't. She still would say that. Just, yes. Just, just a little bit of fuck you yep. thing. Yep. Just a mad Sweeney. Just to let him know. Like, oh, well, I do. End of story. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like, drop. sitting between them, Salim, and he's sitting there so sweet, adorable, innocent, between, like, the flying F-bombs across the table, and, like, poor Sweeney's, like, poking fun at him, too. It's like, yeah, women don't like it. This guy here likes it. <laughs> Gets his door knocked in all the time. <laughs> Poor Salim's just like, leave me out of this. <laughs> right. Just love right. it. So we, we have, uh, after they leave Jack's there on the road again, they pull off to the side of the road early in the morning so that Salim can, you know, do his prayer. Prayers. Pray to Mecca. Yep, pray to Mecca. And uh, as they're, as he's doing this, like he and Laura get into a little bit of a of a conversation, and um, 
I like her response when he talks about, you know, God is great. And I think she says, if I'm not mistaken, I I think she says life is great. Yes, exactly what she says. Because that, of course, for her, that is like her God is life. As weird as that sounds, like it's the thing she aspires to attaining, you know, is, is that ability to actually live again and to live life true life once more and to really be able to do something with it for for once unlike the way she just disregarded her life when she was uh alive before yeah because like to her shadow is like the thing she wants most it's her representation of like you know god i guess and being able to reach this different this familiar plane of existence back to life it's being closer to you know the thing you believe in um, and so I think that's what she's wanting to, that's what she's realizing that like, that is what I want. And that's what she's going to keep going after and instead of you know, trying to find what she, that is her purpose. And that's what she's kind of realizing, you know, I think that's what I interpreted from that anyways, just shadows her purpose now at this point. <laughs> right. At least for now. Yeah, exactly. It could change. Okay. Um, I think we've covered pretty much everything that I can recall. Is there anything in your notes, anything you want to cover? I think we hit pretty much everything. I'm just checking over. Uh, brought up everything. Yeah, I think we went over everything. Okay. Yep. Uh, okay. Well, we have um, listener feedback. Uh, before we, before, I'll tell you what, before we get into listener feedback, Sarah, um, why don't you just throw out the the social media and the email, how they can get a hold of us if they want to send in feedback before we even get to that. All right. If you'd like to send in feedback, voicemails, conversation, what have you, uh, you can do so by sending all those to americangodspodcast at gmail.com. Um, we're out on Twitter at americangodspod. Um, also, if you want to check out our Patreon page, it's patreon.com forward slash geeks. Tons of subscriber levels where you can check. You can check out. Um, we do loop, loop crates every month. Uh, we only have a couple subscribers, so your odds are pretty good. Um, and then there is iTunes. If you would like to hop on there and give us a review and a rating, that's always appreciated. Uh, gets us noticed and more people to listen, and that's always great. And before I go on to, I want to say like we hit over three thousand subscribers, which is. Amazing. Like, thank you all for listening. I did never imagine we'd hit 3,000. Like, that's pretty crazy. So, yeah, thanks for that. Um, so now I'll get into some feedback. Let me bring it up here. Okay, yeah, and while you do that, I'm just, I want to say thanks as well. Because <laughs> it, seriously, it. Uh, we started this up, you know, a year ago, over a year ago. And I remember when we first decided to do the podcast, I was adamant about getting out early because I wanted people to have a podcast to listen to leading up to American Gods coming out. And I wanted to try to get content out on a regular basis. Uh, You know, we were going to do chapter by chapter and I knew we would talk about, you know, different characters from the book and all of that. Now, obviously it took a lot longer to get to the first season than we anticipated, but, um, that was our intention. We wanted to be out in front of everybody else, and we did that. And I think that, you know, we built up, I feel like, a pretty good, you know, 
fan base of people that must enjoy our podcast enough to you know come back week after week and listen to it which by the way we really really appreciate it and because doing this podcast every week is something that we we love to do Uh, we do i do four pod i do four podcasts a week and three of them yeah yeah (laughs) and three of them are with sarah you know uh the other one is a, a tennis podcast that i have uh with my brother and my cousin so you know, it's something that we really enjoy doing, you know, so yeah, thank very you very much, so. much. Yeah. Thank you very much for, you know, for subscribing and listening to us uh, each week because it's something that we really appreciate. It feels like all our hard effort and work that goes into this is validated, I guess. Right. I know when we have people like we and we can like acknowledge like there are people that actually listen and we can talk to them like that's just it's a great feeling. Uh People out on Twitter, you know who you are. I love talking to you. It's great to be able to like discuss American Gods with anybody. <laughs> like I could talk forever about American Gods. Uh, so without further ado, speaking of talking about American Gods, I'm going to start off um, with an email from Brock. Uh, great name, by the way. <laughs> uh, but you probably get that a lot from Pokemon, but yeah, great name. Anyways, um, he writes in on the episode, this episode, um, says, Hi guys, I discovered your podcast after the first episode of American Gods aired, and I've enjoyed, enjoyed it very much. Thank you. Over the summer, I plan on going back and listening to your book episodes. Great, that's awesome. Um, I really love the addition of Vulcan to the American Gods universe. Amen to that. It makes so much sense for the god of the forge to become the god of the firearms. The production team did a great job in bringing a lot of little details to the forefront. His factory's entrance looks like a Roman temple, and the smokestacks look like the plumes of a volcano. Great observation. Um, Corbin Burnson's beard looks like it came off of an ancient statue, and a lovely little touch in the parade scene. He's walking with a limp which Vulcan wouldn't have gotten after Juno pushed him off a mountain as a child. Uh, great touch into mythology. Like, awesome. I love when people tell me stuff I don't know. That's awesome. I never would have even, like, thought to look back into why he had a limp. Like, that's awesome. Anyways, uh, I'm wondering um, if Vulcan got the lemon-scented you treatment from the new gods. If I were to hazard a guess, I'd say no. The whole town has been built up around the factory, and you don't do that in like 10 to 15 years. I'd like to think he opened his factory during the Civil War and never looked back. Probably. I think that's a great idea. (coughs) I understand why he wanted to be neutral. He's living comfortably and has a lot to lose. Compare that to the Slavic gods in Chicago. I won't attempt to spell the name. Good choice, because I don't even attempt to say them when I when I have the choice. Uh, who are living hand-to-mouth and are a little desperate. A game of checkers and some rather smooth talking, notwithstanding. Vulcan is simply not desperate enough to start a war. My only complaint about the episode is we didn't get to see enough of Wednesday's curse in the company. It's safe to assume that the quality of the bullets are now piss poor <laughs> I love it <laughs> isn't that oh, I laughed so hard when I read that <laughs> that was that was great I love it yes. <laughs> um, it wouldn't have been nice to see a government contract cancelled or something to that effect maybe we'll see the new gods use Vulcan brand guns and bullets in the future and have them jam or blow up in their faces that would be awesome I'm hoping that next season we'll see a new god get the Vulcan treatment I think that a god of uh, 
cars or highways was missing from the book and might explain why Wednesday wants to stay off the interstate. Anyway, I've gone on enough. Keep up the great work. It's always great to see your podcast in my iTunes queue. Brock, thank you. <laughs> that was a great email. Um, I love learning stuff that I wouldn't have thought to even look for or think of. Um, you made some really great points. Uh, what do you think, Michael? Uh, yeah, great. Great observations here. Uh, I love the the uh, imagery that he was talking about. Um, sometimes when you have a show as beautiful as this, I, and I know, look, we've, we've, I watched Wonderfalls. I've watched every Brian Fuller show. <laughs> uh, Hannibal, obviously, we have a Hannibal podcast for anybody out there that's listening to this that doesn't already know that. Um, we have the Hunger for Hannibal podcast. And so we're well acquainted with imagery, you know, within Brian Fuller's universe. And company. Uh, and company. That being said, I feel like sometimes a show can be so pretty. <laughs> and I'll find myself, I need to watch a show twice. The first time I watch it, I just watch it. Like, I'm just, I'm letting it wash over me. I don't write notes or anything the first time through because it's just not worth it. Um, and then the second time, I try to pay more attention to things going on in the scene. That being said, I just didn't see what you saw, which is great. Um, it's very hard, I think, unless you really, really like stop, you know, uh, pause the show, look at the scenes, take notes, keep going uh, to really see maybe some of this stuff that you're talking about. But then I went back and I've looked um, while you were talking about that, I brought up the video and I went to that scene and I looked at it as you were speaking. Yeah, it's it's right. It's <laughs> it's so obvious now that I've seen it. I can't unsee it. Nice. So it's a it's great that you uh, you know mention these details because sometimes we can't or just fail to pick up on on some details. We try to pride ourselves in seeing some of this stuff, but even we can't see everything. I guess. Yeah, so. I love when little things get pointed out, Easter eggs and whatnot that I never catch. Love it. Uh, so yeah, thank you for that email. That was fantastic. You made some really great points and puns. <laughs> I'm <laughs> a fan of puns, very much so. Uh, so thank you so much, Brock. That was a great email. I look forward to hearing from you in the future. Um, so we have more feedback, two more. Um this one is from okay, here it is. from Leo. Um, he writes, Dear Michael and Sarah, uh, clearly you had issues with the Shadow Lore reunion in Lemon Scented You. We did. Um, but it worked for me. It respected the source material. Shadow going directly into the affair instead of how she came back is true to the book. And the novelization, he was more interested in why she slept with Robbie true as well. Her coming back from the dead was more of an afterthought. I am pleased Brian Fuller kept it that way. The prior week he gave us a scene with Audrey freaking out over Laura's return from the dead. No need to repeat those beats with Shadow. I completely agree. I definitely didn't want Shadow to have an Audrey-like meltdown. Uh, and then he continues on um, the focus needed to be on the story thread between Shadow and Laura that is even more important than her resurrection true as well. 
And that said, Thread is their frayed relationship. Shadow was so focused on getting those answers, he apparently did not notice the rotting smell that accompanied Laura, which I'm sure anybody else could. <laughs> or perhaps I should say that is my interpretation, for sure. Um, as for Laura's whole attitude that many felt was off-putting, my take is that she has yet to get a handle on how to consider his feelings. I think this is a great point you're making, by the way. Um, she spent her entire life being manipulative and less empathetic. It will take her time to make improvements on those fronts and would have been a cheat if she had done so overnight. Now that would have been too easy. The man's winning coin miraculously granted her life, but it did not miraculously grant her humanity. Her most difficult journey is not to be her return from the dead, but the path she must take to learn what true compassion is. That makes for a potentially fascinating arc, don't you think? I feel it will make for an interesting dynamic so far as her relationship with Shadow. Looking forward to the next podcast, Leo. I completely agree. Like, I didn't really think of it from that perspective that it's still Laura being Laura. Like, she hasn't changed just for her, her love for Shadow has. And I think that's a great point you're making that she has to figure out how she can, what compassion is her empathy and feeling again. I think that's a great point. What do you think, Michael? Uh, yeah, I, I agree. I, hearing that point of view when it comes to uh, her character, uh, I guess we have to realize she hadn't been dead that long, you know, so it's not like she's going to come back with an entirely different personality. Um I guess I, I I guess what irritated me most, I think I said this last week, it wasn't what was being said. I think it was how the conversation itself played out. I had no problem with, with Shadow wanting answers. I just thought that upon seeing his wife alive, I mean, beyond that first initial shock that he had in the scene, it was like, oh, we've got stuff to talk about. And I thought that doesn't that doesn't strike me as something that you would say first and foremost, you know. So it wasn't the conversation that he had that I had a problem with. I guess it was just that I wanted to see more of him trying to wrap his head around the fact that she's actually alive, you know. More of that kind of dumbfounded, how is this even possible, you know, kind of. Uh, conversation um but i agree with her still being the manipulative laura that uh, always had been there the kind of semi-dismissive laura that really didn't factor in his thoughts or feelings or um, opinions uh very much so but I, I think all of the points that you make are really really good and they do yes. shine light and i like that her journey isn't about her being alive again. It's about her finding humanity, finding a humanity that she didn't previously have in yeah, life. Very much. I, I totally agree. Like there's some really great points you made. Um, so thank you for sending in feedback. Uh, I hope you do in the future. You made some really great points. Um, I never really would have thought about it that way. So thank you for that. And then, last but not least, um, we have an email from Jonathan again. Uh, he writes in, 
um, saying, hey guys, you were wondering why there hadn't been a change in Laura as you were expecting after episode four. I believe the change comes from her increased affection for Shadow, or better yet, that death gave her more clarity that allowed her to better process her emotions, but that doesn't mean she's getting a complete personality makeover. This is touching on kind of the same subject. Um, she is still going to be a bit bitchy and unapologetic. <laughs> totally agree. Um, that is who she is. Double agree. Any improvement on this front will have to come with time, not from miraculous return of the dead, and I think that's a good thing character-wise and story-wise. Anything else would be too much of a cheat. Totally agree with you on there. We just kind of touched on that a bit with the last uh, email, um, but yeah, thousand percent agree. Also, you guys made um, some comment about how it seemed as if nothing from the episode 5 came from the book. Uh, actually, a lot of the material did. Shadow's conversation with Laura in the hotel room, which took you a third of the episode, came from the novel, and not just the dialogue. The tone... The tone? It says tune, but I think it's tone. The, uh, the casualness of how Shadow accepted her return, how he's insisted on discussing her affair, rather than how she is not dead. All from the book. Yeah, it is. I think my exact quote was that like 90% of it wasn't uh, from the book, and that's just referring to uh, their relationship and um, how they met, uh, how they, the, the past pretty much. Um, their interactions with um, Robbie and Audrey barbecuing, like her and Shadow, the, we never actually got to know what the actual uh, con they pulled off was. Um, just that kind of details. <coughs> um, and then he adds at the end, um, furthermore, Sweeney's begging and demanding his coin back from Laura, his attempt at bribing her uh, with more worthless coins, and his warning to her about Wednesday all came from the novel as well. Uh, yep. Main difference is that in the novel, those moments occurred between Shadow and Sweeney when they met for a second time. Also, Shadow's interrogation is somewhat lifted from the book, too. I believe we mentioned this in the episode as well. Um, although in the book he is not with Wednesday, it is not confronted by all those new gods at once, and is rescued by Laura. Yeah, I believe we touched on that a little bit, but we didn't really want to, um, we didn't really want to spoil too much of the book if people hadn't read it. We're just touching on it now because people can tune out if they want, but um, it's not too big of a spoiler. Uh, but that's kind of why we left it out, what what had actually happened in the book. And plus, we have discussed it on previous episodes, so we didn't really want to dive into it too much. Um, Michael? Hmm. <laughs> Gotta catch my breath. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah, look, I mean, some of it does does come from the book. There are some material there, but it has been uh, repackaged in the show uh, to uh, come from a, like a different direction. So, for instance, in the novel, yes, Shadow has this passivity in the scene where, like, Laura first shows up. Uh, however, we have to remember that the the shadow in the book and the shadow in the TV show are are very different people. Um, the reason why it worked in the book is because Shadow was an extremely passive person, especially at that point in in the novel. Uh, he was very silent, doesn't talk very much. Essentially, that um, kind of numbness depression kind of feeling that that was given to laura 
it, the, you know, in the show is is what really Shadow had been dealing with for for much of his life. And so that's I think the, the difference here in the show is that, uh, and why I still had a problem with it, is that um, while yes, Shadow is passive in the book, you know, in the show he his personality is different. We can't have a, a lead character who doesn't talk. It just isn't going to work. So that's why they gave that kind of, at least pre-death, that kind of depression, passivity, um, life is hopeless or meaningless uh, kind of attitude to Laura, which I think makes for an effective, a partially a more effective arc for her. Uh, but for me, uh, I still had a problem with that opening scene just because I feel like if I walk in and find my wife who is dead, you know, uh, like sitting on the bed, the first thing, even if we had a ton of issues in our life, and I understand wanting to, to get to the heart of that because he had questions, the first things out of my mouth or almost the first things out of my mouth aren't going to be, oh, wait a second, we have things to talk about. We have unresolved issues. Um, so again, I mean, it's, it's a small nitpick. It really is. Uh, it just, it struck me as off, which is why I guess I harped on it. Maybe, maybe a little too much. I do think we probably like went on a little bit too long about just crapping on that scene, but we, it's not like that we don't like it. It was just, it's nitpicking. Like, honestly, like we, we're trying to dissect it as much as we can and nitpick things like it's hard to have any kind of criticism about this TV show. So I guess we probably talked a little too long about just our one Yeah, it's true. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, there was a, like a, a deal breaker for the episode for me. No, God, no, of course not. No. But it's just, it was one of those things where I first watched it and it just, it just struck like the wrong chord for me. So, but that's it. It's yeah. just an opinion. Other people could have watched that scene as I'm sure, you know, it sounds like you watched it and thought it was perfectly fine. And Leo that's too. great. Yeah, and Leo too. So I mean, that's that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. It's uh, it's good that there's a different opinion there because we can see it from your point of view, and I I understand what you're saying. You know, I see where you're coming from. Um, so that that's certainly not a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. Like it's in no way a bad scene. It's just I don't know. Just it is that it just rubbed us the wrong way, and just kind of trying to figure out why and criticizing just what we can <laughs> because there's so few on this show. Yeah. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for that email. Thank you everyone who sent in feedback. It was all wonderful. Um, so thanks for that. Um, yeah, I think we're just wrapping up now. We I've already given. <laughs> I'm so used to being like going right into hey, this is our email, <laughs> but that's like. Now I can just wrap up. <laughs> yeah, and, and again, thanks for sending in the feedback, really. Really. Yes. And, and continue to send in feedback if – don't feel like you have to. It's not like, oh, you must send in feedback every week. No. I mean, if you want to do that, hey, that's great. And we will definitely read your email. Obviously, as you can see, we'll, we'll talk about uh, the points you make and uh, hopefully continue to have a good, uh, diverse uh, dialogue uh, full of wonderful opinions that hopefully are different from our own. You know, they don't need to be the same. We don't want them to be the same either. Um, it's just great to get feedback and to interact with, with people, with fans, with, uh, you know, people out there that love American Gods and are as passionate about it as we are because, you know, you better be passionate about <laughs> American Gods if you're going to do a podcast about it. So. Right. <laughs> 
Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I guess that wraps it up for this episode. We've droned on long enough. Yeah. So um, why don't we get to our, I guess, our grade, right? Oh my God. Yeah. I almost totally glossed over that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I like that. So go ahead, uh, Sarah, give me your, uh, your wrap up thoughts and your grade for the episode. Um, so I really love this episode. Um, it's one of the, one great one for me, one of my favorites so far. I mean, especially it completely is revolving around Salim, Laura, and Mad Sweeney. Their interactions, um, just being a fly on the wall while they talk is just some of my favorite scenes. They have some amazing conversations, amazing points that are made, um, it's some of my favorite stuff of this episode. And don't get me wrong, all the Vulcan stuff was great, very pertinent to the story, um, great imagery. Uh, Corbin Burnson, he's amazing. Did a phenomenal job being Vulcan. I am a little disappointed that his storyline got cut a little short. I would have liked to see carry on a little bit more. Um, but yeah, when it was coming to the end, not surprised that it happened. It was really cool to see Mr. Wednesday in action and just kind of having that, like, fear me, I'm a god kind of attitude. Like, don't fuck with me. <laughs> like, that was great. And like, and then, like, the real Mr. Wednesday comes out when he's, like, pissing on the volcano. <laughs> like, it was great. So much, so many great scenes. Um, it's back up to an A-plus for me this episode. Yeah, for sure. Solid A+. Plus. Okay. Um, a strong episode overall uh, is the American Gods has been an exceptionally strong season thus far. Uh, I liked the episode a lot. I thought that the, the road trip between uh, Laura, Salim, and Mad Sweeney was the strongest aspect of the episode for me. I yes. like the I like the Vulcan stuff. I thought it was very interesting. Um, it, there's a lot of uh, subtext going on in those scenes, and uh, a lot of as, as our you know listeners have pointed out, a lot of wonderful imagery and symbolism, you know, thrown in there as well. And that's all fantastic. And I, I liked seeing, as you said, uh, Mister Wednesday, finally, the the God of War is revealing himself. <laughs> You know, yes. um, we we see him with this weapon, and he, it is glorious to see him. You know, take out another god. It it's something I wasn't expecting, and you know, obviously this doesn't happen in the book because Vulcan doesn't exist in the book. So this storyline is uh, completely new, and I think we forgot to mention that when we were doing our review. So I mention it now. Uh, for people that haven't read the book, this is not in there. So don't feel like if you go and you read American Gods, you're gonna, you know, like stumble on this wonderful scene of of Vulcan because he's not there. So uh, I thought it was really great. I thought Corbin Burnson did a really great job as Vulcan. I thought he embodied everything that they were trying to, you know, uh, use for portray. that character, portray for that character. And I I like him as an actor. I think he's great. But like you, I was disappointed that it was a one episode, you know, uh, more or less, a, I guess, a, what, a cameo, really? 20-minute arc. Know, 20 minutes. It's not much a, a screen time. Uh, he did what he, for 20 minutes, he did a great job, but I, I thought there's a character who's got so much power and so much potential, and what could he do on this show, but he's gone. So I think 
the like I said, the Laura, Mad Sweeney, and Salim stuff was the strongest aspect of the episode. I think the Shadow and Mr. Wednesday was a little uh, I guess a little I wouldn't say disappointing, but I wasn't as bold over this week as I have been in past weeks with their storyline. So I like like the stuff when they're in Vulcan talking in the car, that's really great and like pulling the right. tree branch out, but it's definitely not the main focus of this episode. Yeah. So for me, um I'm gonna have to give this uh I'm gonna give this a, a B plus for me this week. That's the same rating you gave last week. Yep. So two straight weeks of B plus. It's not bad, it's not a bad grade, you know. Um, I just think there was I think the last week and this week there were some elements to the to the episode that I just didn't find as strong as I thought they'd done in past weeks. Um and so for me it's it's uh yeah, it's a B plus this week. Fair enough. I guess that wraps it up for this week. Um there's only two episodes left, guys. Like yeah, isn't that's that it. crazy. It is a yeah. I can't believe it's it's going to be over soon. And just to let everyone know, I think we announced it last week, and I'm going to continue to announce it uh, this week and, of course, next uh, week as well. Um, the finale for American Gods, the finale podcast, is going to be a few days late. I'll be on vacation. Um, we'll be recording Tuesday night next week, and then after that... Uh, yeah, two weeks, sorry. And, um, you know, I'll be going on vacation. So when I get back, uh, American Gods will have aired, but we won't be able to record on the usual night just because I'll still be, you know, on vacation. So when I get back, we'll probably end up recording, I guess that'll be what, the Thursday? I think about right, Thursday. So it'll be a couple of days after we normally record. I so probably can, it'll probably come out Friday. Yeah. Yeah, we'll probably record Thursday. I'll, I'll probably have it out on Friday. So it's going to be a few days later than usual. Yeah, we'll so. release it probably the same day on iTunes and Patreon, right? Right. Uh, just, just because, because Right, because it's going to be out late. We're going to get it out both simultaneously just so that uh, – because usually it gets released on Patreon first so that our subscribers have access uh, to it before anybody else does, which is one of the perks of uh, subscribing to Patreon. Uh, but in this instance, I just – because it's going to be late, I want to get it out right away. So it's just going to go up on both sites immediately. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's not going to be too many days late, just a couple. And it's going to be like, it's going to be a big episode anyway. So it would probably take us an extra day or so in the first place to record it and get through all of our probably notes and overview. And we're going to be talking about the whole season. It's going to be a big episode. So, but yeah, that's still yeah. two weeks away. Yep. So like I said last time, if you have any questions, uh, you know, make sure you get them into us. You're going to have a little extra time now uh, to get any questions, thoughts, opinions, uh, whatever you'd like for the finale. So because we're not going to record for a few extra days, uh, a few extra days later, it, it'll give you more time to get some you know, of your thoughts and opinions to us so we can uh, compile those, get them together and uh, share them on the podcast. So, yep. Yeah. Start thinking of season two predictions. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, I guess that's it for this week, everyone. Uh, of course, another excellent episode overall of American Gods. Um, we hope you had a good time listening to the podcast. And next week, episode seven. Really looking forward to it. 
excited. Uh, hopefully we'll see the next two episodes of American Gods. Maybe they'll be the best ones of the season. That's what you always hope for. Um, and it's what we're hoping for. So until then, have a good one. And we'll catch you in the next podcast. Good night, Godlings.